Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to your daily dose of the strange, the creepy and different. For any new listeners, welcome and take a seat. And to all my veterans, I've kept your seats warmed. Today, my creepy-licious listeners, I have for you another tale by Chris Bird titled The Last Person Alive. When time travel meets a dystopian universe, something unique takes place. And our second story is a creepypasta by Brian F. Carmody. A unique twist on Pinky and the Brain. A really, really unique twist. So, turn the lights off, the sound up, and get ready for something different. Late last year, on a night where the air was as cold as it was clear, a black, leather-bound notepad fell through a hole that existed only for only the tiniest moment. The rip in time produced an explosion that smashed windows and set off car alarms. An entire street woke up at 3am to the disturbance. The police arrived in minutes and were given nothing other than the worn leather book found by a small boy in his pajamas. It took months and the book was thumbed by many hands until eventually its genius was discovered, tested and proven. The book now resides in the London Science Museum and is deemed one of the most valuable scientific texts ever to have been discovered. This is what it reads. I think I am the last human alive. This place I'm in is, in many ways, a paradise. Although the sign into town still stands, there's not a lot else that does. I came here because I remember how Sakandaga Lake looks so beautiful in the sunset. I found a small rowing boat a couple of years ago that had held together over tens of years in its storage shed, so I spent most of my days fishing out on the water. This place has none of the horrors I have come across, but also none of the people I love. No people at all, in fact. It's just me, this book, and my machine and I'm ready now. Let me tell you how I got here. My name is Julian Brown. I live at 71 O'Neill Street, Kingston, New York. And as far as I know, I am the world's first and only time traveler. I suppose I have a new title now as well. I'm the last human to ever live on planet Earth. I would try and put this nearer to my home back south, but it's too far for me now. I just hope it lands in good hands. In the year 2026, I will finalize the working version of my time machine. The time hopping had become a reality when I realized that it is only possible to travel forwards in time. Attempting to travel backwards would immediately change history. And then the future that develops is different to the one in which the traveler leaves, thereby making it impossible for them to ever have left in the first place. As it turns out, the butterfly effect has profound complications when it comes to time travel. My first jump took me forward one week. As you'd expect, life was the exact same as it was when I left, except that my work had let me go. I didn't mind much. 
the discovery I had made was incomprehensibly valuable. So a week went by in the blink of an eye. I took a walk around the neighborhood, making sure everything is in working order, both for me and the world itself. Once I was happy that there was no complications, I took the machine to the little garden at the back of my house. Another blink of the eye and six months had passed. I remember the grass from the garden lapping at my ankles. It was long and unkempt from half a year of not being cut. I went into the house and my unclean plate on the side had grown considerable mold. I took my phone out of my pocket and found hundreds of emails, missed calls, and texts displayed on the screen. I called my poor 70-year-old mum, and she cried. I went straight over and explained where I'd been. I couldn't believe I hadn't bothered to think about her. She tried to talk me out of my plans, but by this point it was too late. I had to go further. I had to see what was next for all of us. She promised me she would hide my work and sell my home. Looking back, I wish I had listened. I wrote a will, said goodbye to my family, and what few friends I had. It was profound. I felt I was purging myself of the world I had lived in my entire life. In six months, my mother would claim on my life insurance policy. Next, I jumped 30 years. My phone no longer worked. I went to the bank and 23 years ago, a couple of hundred thousand dollars had entered my account. My mother's will, it turned out. The interest had accrued to over half a million. And so I withdrew as much as I could and bought all of the latest tech. The newest things were holographic lenses that project everything over your vision. From news stories and weather, to people's moods and social network profiles. They had all manners of uses. The war in Syria had ended, the government had taken control, and militants were extremely rare. Russia had seized total control of Ukraine. Things were easy then. Cars were quiet, electric and drove themselves. Drones delivered. People worked fewer hours and seemed, for the most part, happy. I spent two months in the utopia of the 2050s. When you get there, make the most of it. I just hope I haven't changed it too much by writing this. Eventually, I removed my lenses and discarded my phone, then jumped another 30 years. People I had left as babies on my first time jump were now older than me. The town was deathly quiet. I wandered through a street paved with ransacked shops burned vehicles and broken windows. I shouted for someone, for anyone, but no one came. After a while, a beaten-up electric van drove up the street. The silver paint was scratched and the walls were dented, but it was still moving. A red light on the top of the bus pinged to green and it came to a halt by an old bus stop. Without really thinking, I ran to the van and hopped in. With no driver, the whole of the inside of the shuttle was made for passengers. So I sat at the front. The door shuffled shut awkwardly, and then the van began its journey out of the town, stopping at a few more empty bus stops along the way. A voice on the bus was repeating itself. Emergency shelter bus, please keep hold of all of your belongings and make way for other passengers. I eventually arrived, alone at a massive metal wall built into the side of a hill I now know was near Woodstock. 
The van put itself on charge as I walked up a door built into the bottom corner of the wall and pressed my finger against a button beneath the screen. I called and said, Hello? into the speaker and waited for a while until I got a response. I later found out that they had stopped monitoring the outside of the shelter years before I arrived, so it took some scrambling to get someone to the microphone on the inside. I exchanged words with the voice coming from the shelter and after repeating myself a few times, they hesitantly let me in. Russia had made a move beyond Ukraine and beyond subtle threats. Their bombs had not come from the air but from the sea, and they had not really been bombs at all. Anyone near the coast had no chance of avoiding the attack. They, and a large percentage of the world, had come to be known as hounds. The hounds were people that had been infected by a chemical attack that had simply been able to change the chemistry in their brains. They had been left in a constant fight or flight mode and had lost the ability to converse or think logically. This had resulted in rioting and stealing and eventually a total breakdown in the economy. The chemical attack was passed by infection and before long these massive shelters had been constructed all across the world. In even less time, they were populated. I stayed at the shelter for a few days. People saw hope in me, but there was really nothing I could do. By 2086, we were no longer advancing. Survival was the prime target now. I went out on a couple of excursions for vital supplies with a small group. The virus was only passed through bodily fluids, so as long as we stayed away from the hounds, we should have been fine. As we were exploring around a nearby town, we heard screams from the half-humans. We jumped into a nearby diner and took up the fence behind the food counter. We were silent, but they found us anyway. From all around us, the hounds appeared from street corners and roofs. I heard heavy footsteps above my head. Men, women, and children came for us. Their eyes locked on us all as the bodies outside began to shrink in on our defenses, like the closing of a drawstring bag. They carried weapons. It was mostly just scavenged weaponry, metal poles and bats and hammers. As the first hound got to the glass-fronted door of the diner, one of us fired. It hit the small boy in the center of his forehead, and he fell to the floor in an instant. The others trampled over him, taking bullets and falling themselves. The others told me to go, and they didn't mean to go back to the shelter. I wasn't armed, and in their own words, I was a hindrance in the current situation. I went into the back room pulled the little machine out of my pocket and set it for a week. When I reopened the door, the floor was slick with blood. Flies swarmed around the bodies by the doors and also on the bodies of my search party members. A lot of their innards had been pulled out and feasted on. It had now dried and was stuck to the floor. I snuck around my newly made friend's corpses and outside into the fresh air. I didn't want to go back to the shelter. I walked up to a small forest above the town and skipped 50 years. In 2136, the town was the same as 50 years before. The buildings were beginning to be taken over by the world around it. Tall grass was growing in the streets, and ivy clung to any surface it could climb. There were no paths forged out of the foliage. I 
didn't explore. Another 50 years, another growth spurt from the flora. A building had fallen down, probably weakened by the plants splitting any cracks wider with their roots. Animals were in abundance. I could barely hear myself think over the bird calls. Deers grazed on the grass between the traffic lights. I hopped one final 50 years, and this is where I am now. I've lived a fantastic life over the last 50 years in these times. I built myself a home within one of the once decrepit buildings in the town. It has a great view of the lake at sunset. I hunted deer, rabbit, and boar. I found books to occupy myself with over the years, but I am done now. I want to travel further, to see what is next, but I cannot. I cannot risk not being able to send this book back to you all. And the second I do, this will all cease to exist. In the next few pages are a few things, the proof of who I am, and all of my schematics for time travel. I beg you to use this information wisely. For now, so long, Julian Brown. May 4th, 2236. The Brain's Genocide It's been nearly six years since my internship at Warner Brothers. How time flies, right? Well, most of my memories are positive. I had a great time, learned a lot, made some awesome friends, and gained invaluable experience that still helps me today. There were a couple of unpleasant incidents, however, but I figure every job's like that, right? Like, here's one. I figure I won't be burning any bridges because I'm not naming names or getting too specific, and I doubt anyone would come forward to claim culpability anyway. So I think I'm safe, and hopefully none of you will go behind my back to rat me out to any sabotaging industry higher-ups. Believe me, they've got bigger fish to fry. Plausible deniability. It's all fictional. Also, this story is not for the young'uns. And I don't just mean because it may jade you out of working for the dream factory that is Tinseltown. Anyway, sometimes I would get sent to the Warner's archive on the other side of the studio lot, usually to pick up some documents or a script too sensitive to facts. Once in a while, they'd send me to retrieve a tape or DVD an executive wanted to watch for entertainment or research purposes. On one such trip, and I'm not saying which property they're thinking of remaking, not violating my NDA, I got to see the old cartoon archives, which was neat. I took perhaps more time than I should have, and confessional time. Is the Statue of Limitations up? I took one DVD that interested me, took it back to the office, and burnt myself a copy before returning it at the end of the day. So not really stealing, right? The DVD was labelled in purple sharpie. These weren't in glossy professional boxes. These were random and unreleased. Animaniacs Extras. So you can imagine how that appealed to me. I loved Animaniacs. And I got a real kick of the time the senior intern gave me a studio tour. And when we came to the water tower, he said, That's where the Animaniacs live. I took the copy home and opened it on my computer. 
there were several files on the disk. Most were, as I expected, simply deleted scenes, very short clips deleted. I assumed for either content, think fingerprints, or just for time. But the BrainGenocide.avi caught my eye. I knew they flew some stuff under the radar and could get subversive, again, fingerprints, but jokes about mass murder. I took a watch. This wasn't a 30 second clip, but an entire, I guess you'd call it, lost episode of Pinky and the Brain. I was both jazzed and puzzled. Why would they throw away an entire episode? Then, I saw. The Brain Genocide starts off like any typical episode of Pinky and the Brain, except the sound quality in the opening song was a bit off. One is a genius, the other is insane! Was weirdly scratchy and uncharacteristic, like they got freaking Danzig to sing the last word. The plot begins as standard fare. The brain scheme this time is to brainwash the world by getting onto the radio waves and sending out hypnotic messages. Maybe they cut it too for being too derivative of other episodes. Though I did like the obvious reference to War of the Worlds, cause Maurice LaMarche's Orson Welles is always classic. I soon began to notice unsettling irregularities, like when Pinky and the Brain break into the radio station, they are temporarily held up by a security guard named Phil on his name tag. The Brain takes out his brainwashing microphone, I don't know, it was the device he was using for his grand plot, and tells Phil to stand down. We see the sound waves come out of the mic and stop Phil in his tracks. There's an extended, still close-up on Phil's face, and it's unnervingly realistic. Way too much detail of his crusty, wide-open eyes, crow's feet, his pasty skin. It would be a bit much for Ren and Stimpy, let alone Pinky and the Brain. And for a split second, it looked like a rotoscoped image of a real man's face. And this goes on for 10 silent, still seconds. Uncanny. So typical of the formula, Brain's plan starts to work before Pinky screws it up. We see the transmission go around the world, and everyone starts to submit to the Brain as their unquestioned leader, before Pinky stumbles into the mic and starts going, no, no. Then that's the message everyone is brainwashed with. Every human on Earth starts jumping up and down and narfing. It's not as funny as you might think, because they make it too realistic, like showing what would happen if everyone stopped what they were doing and immediately acted like Pinky. I mean, car crashes with twisted limbs in a kid's cartoon. A surprisingly well-drawn caricature of President Clinton bangs his head on the Resolute desk until blood comes out. The brain is furious, naturally. His face takes on a very aggressive, ugly, angry quality, like he's madder and more vicious than his usual annoyance at his partner. We then cut to the brain's lab, where Pinky is cuffed down to a table with a grotesque array of metal instruments hanging over him. The brain is standing next to him with his hand on the lever. It's not goofy at all, because Pinky is legitimately frightened. It's so out of character for him. I mean, his voice is literally shaking when he says, What are you going to do to me tonight, Brain? Brain answers, What I should have done to you every night. The Brain said this with real venom, and Pinky starts to sob. Please don't. I promise you I'll be a good boy. 
Pinky pleads, but the brain ignores his pleas, and we only focus on the brain's face, a twisted, hateful visage, as he pulls the lever and watches his friend get tortured to death. And here, where the video went from simply a dark cartoon to legitimately real-life disturbing because Pinky's screams now sound like a real mouse being tortured. Not to Rob Paulson's cartoon yipping, but an actual animal shrinking for its life. Really bad. Then we see the brain rise to power, now that he's unencumbered by his buffoonish assistant. Back to the radio station, and his brainwashing signal goes all over the world. We see statues raised in the brain's honor, men in jackboots and mice masks marching through the streets and oppressing dissidents. I guess their masks were supposed to look like the brain, but I couldn't help but think of Art Spiegelman's mouse. Here's something else messed up. The cartoon of this megalomaniac cartoon mouse's world domination is intercut with brief footage Poor quality like a cheap camcorder, panning across a field showing a mass grave of children. Live action. Silent. No living creature on screen. Just a pile of dead little bodies. I couldn't recognize the setting or even the country, which looked flat and muddy, or even when it took place. What 20th century atrocity this was portraying. Goosebumps. Not that the brain is triumphing in this power. Back to animation, we see him sitting in his palace. I guess it was supposed to be Buckingham? As the establishing shot with the huge flags, literally just the brain's face on a black background, outside indicated. The brain is sitting in his empty office alone, in some odd state of despair. Pinky. His soft voice pierces the silence, and I jumped a little, because it had been so quiet for so long. The brain looks across the room and sees Pinky, standing there. Years later, when I saw Phantom Thread, I swore Paul Thomas Anderson must have seen this lost episode because of the scene where Reynolds sees his mother's ghost just standing there, silently watching him. Pinky's face is blank and drawn out, and the brain's voice is forlorn and resigned to this bleak state. He said, You're watching me. That's alright. I deserve it. Are you pondering what I'm pondering? The brain lowers his head and starts to sob. What have I done? And we hear his voiceover narrate the last two scenes. It still gives me chills writing this years later. The camera, black and white, now shows live action footage of the Warner Brothers lot. We don't see who's filming. But we see the silhouette of the cameraman, and it looked like he was wearing a giant mouse head. A theme park costume, but no one was having fun. The camera stops on a lingering shot of the water tower. WB displayed prominently. What have I done? Cut to inside the water tower, I'm guessing. It looks like security footage. A large empty basin, where Phil... The security guard in real life looks just like his cartoon counterpart, is trapped and screaming for help. Of course this is all silent, except for the brains. What have I done? Over and over, but you can tell he's in pain, especially when he scratches at the metal, as if trying to claw his way out. The final shot is just that. A still photo of Phil, drowned inside the water tower, now filled to the brim. 
cut to static. I threw away the discs, didn't tell anybody about it at work, and from then on, I avoided walking by the Animaniacs' home, even when it meant taking the long route around the studio. I can see why they axed the episode. Thank you Chris Bird and Brian F. Comedy for both these brilliant stories. So, our first story involving time travel. Does that mean, as our protagonist explains, that he has ceased to exist now? Now, does he mean that his timeline exists, but a new one is made once the book returns? Or does this timeline stop, and he never existed at all? I'd love to hear what you all thought about this story, and what you think happened in the end. Also, my goodness, that second creepypasta strange and escalated quickly. Yikes. I hope you enjoyed both stories today, and tomorrow, I'll have for you a story titled Attention All Shoppers. Another great story. One that I think you won't soon be forgetting. And as always, till next time.